Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. When you came in, you should have gotten a paper. Um, if you didn't get one, raise your hand, and I'm sure somebody can come by and get you one, and it'll um, have today's message that we're, we're finishing up a series called New Life. And um, it's been just a chance to talk about some of the new things that are new in Christ. But there's one that somebody, my wife, needs one over here. And um, while they're getting papers, a couple hands raised, we will pray. And then we will try to um, just honor the Lord. God, who am I? I'm a nobody. Lord, I do not deserve the opportunity to be up here. Lord, I, I do not deserve it. You are good. Lord, your word is true. And I just pray that you would speak and that Jesus would be glorified and that you would um, be honored in this house, God. Let people see Jesus clearly and grow in their knowledge of him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start off with a point that um, I'm going to put out there, and it's the first thing in your um, uh, thing you can fill in. It says that there's something in each of us that longs to be great. Now, our definition of what great is might be a little different depending on where you came from or where you grew up, but nobody sets out at something and says, I just want to be terrible at this, all right? Nobody picks up a music instrument and says, hey, I want to uh, be a terrible musician. Nobody plays sports and says, hey, I just want to be the worst baseball player or basketball player out there. Like, I want to miss the last shot. Nobody starts practicing with that thought in their mind that I hope one day the ball can come to me and I can shoot the shot and miss and everybody like in the whole stadium goes, aww. <laughs> you don't want that. We want to be great. There's something in us that wants to be great. You don't want to be, um, you know, if you care about your job, hopefully you do, you don't want to be the worst person there. I remember I did one job, I taught math in a, in a middle school, and every um, four and a half weeks they put on the walls um, your name and then how your kids scored in the teacher lounge. First year, I walked in there, and I was like, I will not be last. I made that commitment, and I wasn't last. But nobody sets out wanting to be like number four out of four or 20 out of 20. We want to be great. We want to be great, and that's because God has made you in his image. You were formed in the image of God, and God is great, and so there's something in you that wants to be great. There's the, and we're going to talk about this idea of being great, because I think we have the, the desire, but just because you have the desire to be great doesn't mean that your approach is correct. And so we're going to look at the scriptures, and um, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 28, it's in your um, paper, you can read through, but it says, when the ten heard it, they were indignant. So we're kind of jumping in, in the middle of a story. If you read up a couple verses, and, and you can go back on your own time, but I'll paraphrase, two of the disciples had got their mom, okay? These were two grown men who got their mom, and the mom of the two grown men went to Jesus and said, Jesus, and he's like, yeah, how can I help? Jesus, I have something for my boys I would like for you to do. What do you want? Could they sit on your right hand and left hand? When you become king, can they be like your number two? Can they be it? 
And when the ten heard it, they were indignant. They're like, your mommy's up here? You brought your mommy up to talk to Jesus? There's two of you. You couldn't even gone together? You had to get your mom and ask to sit at Jesus' right hand? And they were mad. Even in the disciples, the 12 disciples, there were arguments. So don't think you're going to walk into Lakeside Church or any church and there's not going to be arguments or disagreements or conflict. Because if you have that idea, you missed out. Because even in the 12 disciples, they had to work some stuff out. So these 10, they heard it, they were a little frustrated, and then Jesus starts to straighten some things out for them about greatness. And Jesus called them to him and he said, hey guys, come here. And they're all sitting there, the 10 disciples who are upset, the two who had gotten their mommy to go to Jesus, and in verse 25, he said that you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it will not be that way among you. For whoever of you, that's us, wants to be great, must be your servant. And whoever would be first, must be your slave. For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Man, that will rip your heart out if you read it, if you believe it. But I want to put a few things out there because I want to clarify. Number one, wanting to be great or wanting to be first is not a sin. It's not a sin to want to be great. Sometimes in churches we think like it's a sin to want to be great or want to be first. Like some of you guys out there, God has things for you, for you to lead people and for you to make a difference and for you to be great in whatever God has called you to do. God did not call you to be a loser all right? Now, you can choose to lose your life, but he did not call you to be a loser. Wanting to be great is not sin. That's the first point that you can write down on your paper. Wanting to be great is not sin. The next point is being great is not sin. Jesus was great, but it was not sinful. So you can be very, very good at what you do and be a leader of thousands of people and that not be a sin. I want to put that out there because sometimes we get the concepts wrong. So God wants you to be great. Wanting to be great is okay. And then the third point is the way you try to become great, that can be sin. Because being great is just a natural thing you desire. Like whether you measure that by your bank account or you measure that by your physical appearance or you measure that by how your car looks in the driveway, maybe your bank account's empty but your car is brand new. And you're in debt, and you're like, look, it looks like I got a lot of money. I don't know how you're measuring it, but wanting to be great is a normal desire, but how you try to get there, man, that can be sinful. It's the same thing with our urges to eat or to be in a relationship physically with someone. The physical desire is not wrong, but you can warp it. Eating food, wanting to eat is not wrong, but you can warp it. Wanting to be great, but the way you try to become can be that. And so I'm going to try to give you a few points and get you out of here, but they're points that I hope that they will sit with you. The next thing is um, becoming great is a wonderful and a terrible process. 
And I want you to think about that. Because when Jesus came to this planet, when he came to earth, when he, when he was born of a virgin, and, virgin, and he, he came here and he, he came to save his people, he could have come and just like the angels with the trumpets and the chariots and just put his foot down and been like, Like, I, uh, you like that note? That was good. Oh, all right, that was good. I don't know if I can do that again. No, I'm good. But he could have done that. He could have been there. But Jesus, he was, came as a baby. And babies are a little bit gross. I'll be honest, I love my babies, but they all come out really gross. If you've never seen a baby when they first arrive, nasty. All of you were in that same place. Nasty. Now, they'll clean you up, and once you, you know, get some color in you, you look better. And your family will really love you, but the rest of us are like, it's okay. It's cute. It's cute, you know. Now, my wife has beautiful children, and I thank God for that. I thank God for that because, you know, I'd have to love them anyway. But becoming great is wonderful, but it's terrible. It's terrible. What did Jesus give up when he left heaven? Just even come here. And then he didn't even come to the good part. He came to the poor part. And then he didn't even like, you know, do anything but serve in that part of town. And then even though he served and he didn't treat anybody wrong, they killed him. And he died. It was wonderful. But it was terrible. And if you want to become great, there's this process, gonna, that's gonna, process that's going to happen with you and inside of you that will at the same time be wonderful and terrible. Because if you look at the cross, it's terrible. What they did to Jesus up there, when, when they ripped his beard out and when they spit on him and when they, they like cut him with the, the, the cat of nine tails that they would whip him and it had metal beads and pieces of glass and they would whip it across his back and then pull it across 39 times, and at any one of those 39 times, he could have just stopped and brought the smack down. I would have. Three into it. I'm like, this is a, I'm over it. But he did that, and they nailed him, and he, he, he just dies naked on the side of the road like a criminal when he came to do nothing but serve. And that's that same process that has to happen in us if we're going to be great. Because Jesus, even in the, the scripture when he was talking to his disciples after they started to argue and he pulled them together, he connects greatness with service and the givings of, giving of one's life for others. If you want to be great, serve others. That's not the way this world tells you. The world tells you, it says, act more important. Treat others, put others down. We have the, you ever heard the story about the crabs in the barrel? That the crabs that try to get out of the barrel, the other crabs, they reach down and they just, you know, grab them with their thing and they pull it back down and nobody can get out of the barrel because they're all trying to pull each other down. The kingdom is upside down. We should all be trying to push each other up. All be trying to lift each other up. No, how can I help? When I was here, we were here setting up this stage and, and doing some chairs earlier. I've had two back surgeries. They say I need a third, all right? And every time I went to do something stupid, the people on the dream team were like, stop, Chris. 
I was like, you, you guys are really here to serve? They're like, stop, put that down. But I'm like, but I don't want y'all to have to do it. You know, I mean, it wasn't because I was trying to, like, gas my own head up. But I was like, nobody wants to move this chair, so let me move it. But they were loving me and giving even their life to me and serving me. So I want to talk about Jesus, and then I want to talk about how that can apply to us. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15... And then verses 17 through 20, we took 16 out just so it could kind of fit in there. It says, he, and this is talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So you want to get a good picture of what God looks like? Read the Gospels and understand who Jesus Christ is. The firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, that means like you, that, that is a, a term that is uh, when you were firstborn, you had more rights and more rights to the inheritance and it was a place of prominence. Um, especially firstborn male. I'm sorry, ladies, but that's the culture he was born into, and that's what he's meaning by that, that Jesus was the firstborn male of all creation who has all the rights who, um, of everything. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Like even the very cells in your body or that chair your bottom is on wouldn't hold together those atoms and molecules, if it wasn't for Christ in him, Christ is holding it all together. Right now, like they get into the, the quantum physics and it gets real, word, real weird. We're not even sure how it all works at that level. And when it comes down to it, it's just Christ holding it together. In him, all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church, which is us, if we believe in Jesus, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He was the resurrected king, and he's resurrecting me and you and everyone else that trusts in him. That in everything, he might be preeminent, that he might be first. But his way to being first was to die a terrible death. And it's the same thing he's called us to. And if we're going to rise to the level of greatness that God wants to lift us, there's a laying of our lives down that has to happen and a sacrifice that we have to make in order for that to happen. For in him, all the fullness of the God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I want to read through a few points. Is number one, Jesus asks nothing from us that he hasn't already done for us. So that's a point. He asks nothing from us that he hasn't already done for us. So Jesus already died for you. And all that he asks is for you to follow. Jesus already paid the price for you, and he, he died a horrible death, and he says, come and follow me. Live this way of sacrifice. And he's not asking anything that he... He's not willing to do himself or actually already done himself. Number two is Jesus had every right to be a tyrant, but he chose to be a servant. Now that's deep if you think about it. When Jesus came here, he could have just came laying down the law, doing whatever he wanted to do. If in him all things hold together, that's why when he stepped out on the water, it didn't fall. And he was able to walk around. Because it's like, I hold everything together anyway. So if I want that to be liquid, I can put, go through it. If I want it to be hard, I'll make it hard. Because I am the firstborn over all creation. 
And in me, all things hold together. So if I need to walk on these waves, I can. And if I need to multiply these fish and these loaves, I can. And if I need to rise from the dead, I will. In him, all things hold together. He had every right to be a tyrant. Tyrant just means like a three-year-old in power. A three-year-old in power. Think about your three-year-old. No offense to three-year-olds, but three-year-olds are bossy. They think they know better. And they tell you what to do. But he didn't. He chose to be a servant. Nobody forced Jesus to the cross. He chose to go there. But this is the thing, is is that that's the same thing that needs to happen within each of us. Because we have to choose. Um, If he's the head, and I want you to think about what the head means. If he's the head of the body, then he makes decisions for us. That's what the head does. My head decides what happens with my body. Like it tells foot to go there, other foot to go here, and before you know it, I'm dancing. All right, the next thing is uh, the head, and this is really important, the head never makes decisions without knowing what it will cost and or give the body. I want you to think about this because this is deep. But your head knows when you're going to do something what it will cost and what it will give your body. And your head can tell you at 4 a.m. to get out of bed and to go jogging. Your head is very clear about what it will cost the body. But your head is smart enough to know what it will give the body. And so your head can make that choice for the body. The body at 4 a.m. is like, what? Why are we doing this? I don't want to go outside. But the head says, no, this is what we're doing. Follow me. And the body's like, but this is terrible. But sooner or later, the body gets what the head was trying to give it. Your head, you walk by a, uh, a buffet, and it smells good. Your body's like, eat some. And some of your body's like, but I'm full. And the other part's like, but eat it anyway. And your body itself doesn't even agree because that's what bodies do. So you could be stuffed and like wanting to eat more, and you're like, I'm so full, but just give me another bite. And your head says, Stop. Keep walking. But it's going to cost me this little momentary pleasure of this bite of whatever smells good. But your body says, but you're fat. And we can't buy bigger pants. We don't have the money for that. Keep walking. But the head knows what it will give and what it will cost the body. And if you're going to be in leadership here, or if you're going to be in leadership in your home, you're going to be in leadership in your work or in your school. And you get into a headship role. You better never ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. And you better know what every decision you make will cost and give the people that you lead. Because that's what Jesus does. And then the last thing, and this is kind of the hardest to wrap our minds around. The last part of that verse says, He made peace with us through his death. See, we were at war with God. I want you to realize this. As a sinner, as someone in sin who had done what God had asked them not to do, God was on this side and we were on this side at war with God. That's not a fair fight. 
God wins every time between us. Even all of us together, God is still God. But God, in his wisdom and in his mystery, chose that by the death of his son, that that would bring peace between us. See, he could have crushed us, but he allowed his son to be crushed. Somebody had to get crushed. It's like when you're merging on the highway, and they don't want to let you in, and you don't want to let them in. Somebody's got to die. You ever had that thought on Monday morning? Looks like somebody has to die right now. I'm sorry, that's just me, because I'm not a good person. But, but what I'm telling you is, is that when you come to a, 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 a crossroads with some people, one of you has to give. And Jesus chose to give. He didn't have to. But he gave to the utmost as his blood was poured out for us. And that's what it takes to be head, and that's what it means to be head. And so we're going to read through some more scriptures where the same, um, because you say, all right, well, that's what Jesus did. How does it apply to me? I don't know if you're married in here, but here's how can this same principle can apply for your marriages. And I'm just going to read what the Bible says, and if you have a problem with this, I didn't write it. I didn't write it. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Nobody killed me yet, so that's good. But that's what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how does headship work? Well, it's very clearly that wives are called to submit to their husband. And I say this in front of a Puerto Rican woman who I've been married to for 19 years who would cut me. <laughs> but it's what the Bible says. A woman who's given what she would call her best years. She says, I've given you my best years and five children. And who deserves my utmost love and respect. But the scripture says that she's supposed to submit to me and I'm supposed to really do the hard part because the brain does the hard part. Then I'm not saying that I'm the brains of the family, but I'm saying that as the head of the family, wives are called to submit to their husbands. So you don't have to submit to anybody else's. Praise God. Preach. Some lady said preach. Husbands see above. All that stuff that Jesus did, about being the head and never making a decision without knowing um, what it would cost and or give the body. All that stuff about never doing, asking us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. All that stuff about loving unconditionally. And even when it came to making peace, making peace by the death, by the blood of his cross. Husbands, you do that part. That's a lot harder. We actually have the crappy role in this, Okay. And if you don't think that we have the crappy role, like we have to be like Jesus because Jesus was the head and the head who died a horrible death. And to be a man, husbands, I'm talking to you, or pre-husbands, to be a man means that you have to be like Christ. And to be like Christ means you live like he lived and you do what he did. And if the greatest example of Christ is the cross, then that is what we need to hold on to. So whether I'm leading my family, or I'm leading my children, or I'm leading the church, or I'm leading at work, it's a big deal. It's a dying. 
It's a sacrifice. It's a being last. It's a choosing to be first. It's a choosing to serve. Am I perfect at it? No. But that's what it says, and that's where I'm going. When you talk about, you say, well, I'm not married or, you know, a husband or a wife, you know, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, maybe you work. If you're retired or don't work yet, praise God, my heroes. All right? But if you do happen to go to work, um, it says, servants um, be subject, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, I want you to think about this. Because this is about as close as we can get to employer-employee, servants and slaves, because that was their culture. Peter wrote this to people who were servants, not employees with a jerk boss, but servants who might get whipped and beat. And I'm not saying that that's appropriate or that we should do that stuff, but what I'm saying is, is that if it was written in that context, and you pull it into your context of the jerk boss who doesn't give you Friday nights off, well, maybe it'll put it into a little perspective. But he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So it's a little bit different than with the husbands and with the the wives, because it calls out the good and gentle, but it also calls out the unjust. So employees are called to be subject to our bosses and or managers. Like I serve someone for a paycheck. I would not go there for free. Tomorrow morning, I'm not going there for free. I'm going there because they pay me. Do I love what I do? Eh, it's all right. You know, it's not bad. But they pay me to go for a reason. They don't pay me to come here. I do this for fun. But that, I have to be subject. And I have really great bosses, really good bosses who lead by example. But I can say I've been at a couple jobs where they've told me, have you ever had somebody at your job tell you to lie on your timesheet? They're like, just lie on your timesheet. Just add in a couple extra 30 minutes. We're all doing that. And you're like, ha, 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 yeah, but I really believe in Jesus, and I don't like to upset him or disappoint him. So I'm going to nod at you and not write in 30 minutes on my paper. So be subject. Now, the good thing is, is you can leave your job, but if you, can't, if you don't want to work there for that jerk, because they might be a jerk or they might be good, that's what the scripture said, then either leave the job or suck it up. Like, those seem like to be our two answers. Now, Leaving the job might be best for your health. It might be best for your mind. It might be great for you to leave. But if you can't leave, then sit there and pray and say, all right, God, I'm in a job that's killing me. I'm working with somebody that I can't even stand, that seems like they're driving me nuts, who seems like they're my enemy. What am I supposed to learn? And he might take you back to the cross and says, well, I want you to see what I did for you. I want you to see how I loved you and how I served you. And, and then, so that's the employee's part. And then the hard part is bosses or managers see above. You want to be a godly boss or manager? Like, don't ask somebody to do, do something you wouldn't do. Don't make a decision without taking their what's going to give and get out of the body. 
be loving, be kind. Make it, now that's much harder. I've had roles. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to be honest. If you don't think it's harder, I've had people come up and offer me jobs and said, you can lead this group of people for this amount of money. Or you can serve this group of people and it's less money because it's not a leadership position. And I said, but that's harder. Because that means every problem is your problem. And that means every decision you got to make. And that means everybody's issue is your issue. No, I don't want to do that. I'll serve here. I'll be happy just working hard and going home. Because when you're the boss, sometimes you got to take things home. Whether you own the company or not. And so I put something out there and I, I, I said, you, do you want to be great? It's not against God's will for you to be great. Do you want to be good at something? Do you want to make a difference? Love and serve. It doesn't matter from what position are you in. If you're the wife, love and serve. If you're the husband, love and serve. If you're the employee, love and serve. If you're the boss, love and serve. It doesn't matter if you're serving in church. If you come to serve here at Lakeside or at another church, you're going to be at one level or another where no matter where you are in the group, love and serve. You might be the boss of some area making decisions, love and serve. You might be the bottom of some area taking orders, love and serve. And if everybody has that, especially in Christ's body, it's going to accomplish what God had called it to do. But even the 10 disciples got upset. Don't think that this is easy. You brought your mommy over here? You won't be the greatest? Jesus said, I'll tell you what the way is. Love and serve the greatest among you. Now, this applies whether you stay at this church for one more minute or for the next 10 years, or whether you go to the church down the street. This applies in your marriage. This applies with your children. This applies at your workplace. This applies in your relationship with God. If you want to be great, serve. Jesus said it real clearly. The first among you will be last. The greatest among you will be those who serve. Let's pray real quick. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to know something, though. Is Jesus isn't calling you to anything he hasn't done for you. He's loved and he's given his life for you. He's died for you. While you were a sinner, while you didn't deserve it, while you weren't even looking for him, he died for you. In fact, you weren't even born yet, and he died for you. He died to give you new life, and though he may call you into some new ways, and it may not be what the world says, it is worth it. And you may say, I don't understand how being a servant will make me great. Just watch the results. Take this next week, I challenge you. And try to love and serve everybody you meet. Whether they're above you, whether they're below you, love and serve everybody you meet. If you want to keep it simple, you say, who should I love and serve? Everybody. And if we all have that attitude, especially in the house of God, we'll grow into the greatness that God wants for each of us. So I'm going to, 
put something before you. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you walked in here today and you don't know God or you've been far from God. And you haven't been taking his gift of life, taking his gift of life seriously. You feel like you've neglected it or you've walked away from him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just put your hand up? If you haven't been loving and serving well and you've, you, you've been walked away from the Lord, even just for a time, and you'd like us to pray for you, amen. Amen. Lord, we see the hands that are raised. There's nothing that we can do. I saw hands that went up quick and went down. I saw hands that went up high. Lord, we're all broken. We're all broken. We need you to resurrect us. Because yes, you've called us to serve, but when we lay down our lives and serve others, you raise us up to great things. It's a commandment, I believe, with a promise. Would you stand with me now? Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>